Welcome to the podcast, Move Forth with Grace. We will be reading the whole Bible in the year 2024. This is such a perfect way to get into God's Word each day and to develop your own relationship with God our Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. I am your host, Angela, and want to first of all say that I am not an expert in theology or church history or a minister, and I never will claim to be. I am a wife and mother who has been reborn and want to be of service to God in gratitude for calling me back home. Welcome to the podcast. The Bible that I will be reading from is the One Year Bible. It is a New Living Translation, and you can find one at www.tendale.com. This episode is brought to you by the Move Forth brand. It encompasses freedom, health, and God's grace. We are created in God's image perfectly and fearfully and wonderfully. There is nothing that we need to do to earn His grace and His healing. He simply gives it to us. I am certified in health and life coaching, but no longer practice. However, I have health tips and resources, products that I love and use, homeschool tips, and merchandise available on my website, and that is www www.move-forth.com. One of my favorite products on my website and that I use each day are stem cell activation patches. Stem cell therapy can be very costly and can produce results that are short-lived, which is why these patches are so brilliant and they're not considered to be stem cell therapy. They actually activate our own body's production of stem cells and support our health and well-being, all while optimizing our immune system. You can check those out on my website as well, www move-forth.com. Thank you for being here. Thank you for becoming less like you and more like Jesus. May you move forth with grace today. All right. Well, today is day 60 and we'll be reading Leviticus 24, 1 through 25. Um, wait just a second. <laughs> Hang on. I did it again. Okay. We're going to be reading Leviticus 24, 1 through 25, 46, Mark 10, 13 through 31, Psalm 44, 9 through 26, and Proverbs 10, 20 through 21. Let's go ahead and begin with prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for another day that we get to spend in your presence and in your word. We just pray for your wisdom today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Leviticus 24, 1 through 25, 46. The Lord said to Moses, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to keep the lamps burning continually. This is the lampstand that stands in the tabernacle in front of the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all night. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. Aaron and the priests must tend to the lamps on the pure gold lampstand continually in the Lord's presence. You must bake 12 flat loaves of bread from choice flour using four quarts of flour for each loaf. Place the bread before the Lord on the pure gold table and arrange the loaves in two stacks with six loaves in each stack. Put some pure frankincense near each stack to serve as a representative offering a special gift presented to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, this bread must be laid out before the Lord as a gift from the Israelites. It is an ongoing expression of the eternal covenant. The loaves of bread will belong to Aaron and his descendants and must, who must eat them in a sacred place, for they are most holy. It is the permanent right of the priests to claim this portion of the special gifts presented to the Lord. One day, a man who had an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father came out of his tent and got into a fight with one of the Israelite men. During the fight, the son of an Israelite woman blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. So the man was brought to Moses for judgment. His mother was Shilamith, the daughter of Debri of the tribe of Dan. They kept the man in custody until the, Lord, until the Lord's will in the matter should become clear to them. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp and tell all those who heard the curse to lay their hands on his head. Then let the entire community stone him to death. Say to the people of Israel, Those who curse their God will be punished for their sin. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be stoned to death by the whole community of Israel. Any native-born Israelite or foreigner among you who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. Anyone who takes another person's life must be put to death. Anyone who kills another person's animal must pay for it in full, a live animal for the animal that was killed. Anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury afflicted, inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. Whoever kills an animal must pay for it in full, but whoever kills another person must be put to death. This same standard applies both to native-born Israelites and to the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. After Moses gave all these instructions to the Israelites, they took the blasphemer outside the camp and stoned him to death. The Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, the Lord said to him, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you have entered the land I am giving you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath rest before the Lord every seventh year. For six years you may plant your fields and prune your vineyards and harvest your crops. But during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year. And don't store away the crops that grow on their own or gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during its Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, and the temporary residents who live with you. Your livestock and the wild animals in your land will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. In addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Then, on the Day of Atonement in the 15th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. This 15th year will be a jubilee, jubilee for you. During that year, you must not plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow on their own, and don't gather the grapes from their unpruned vines. It will be a jubilee year for you, and you must keep it holy. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own. In the year of the jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. When you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other. When you buy land from your neighbor, the price you, mu you pay must be based on the number of years since the last jubilee. The seller must set the price by taking into account the number of years remaining until the next year of jubilee. The more years until the next jubilee, the higher the price. The fewer years, the lower the price. After all, the person selling the land is actually selling you a certain number of harvests. Show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord your God. If you want to live securely in the land, follow my decrees and obey my regulations. Then the land will yield large crops and you will eat, you will eat your fill and live securely in it. But you might ask, what will we eat during the seventh year since we are not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year? Be assured that I will send my blessing for you in the sixth year so the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. When you plant your fields in the eighth year, you will be, still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. 
In fact, you will still be eating from that large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. The land must never be sold on a permanent basis, for the land belongs to me. You are only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. With every purchase of land, you must grant the seller the right to buy it back. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell some family land, then a close relative should buy it back for him. If there is no close relative to buy the land, but the person who sold it gets enough money to buy it back, he then has the right to redeem it from the one who bought it. The price of the land will be discounted according to the number of years until the next year of Jubilee. In this way, the original owner can then return to the land. But if the original owner cannot afford to buy back the land, it will remain with the new owner until the next year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee year, the land must be returned to the original owner so they can return to their family land. Anyone who sells a house inside a walled town has the right to buy it back for a full year after its sale. During that year, the seller retains the right to buy it back. But if, if it is not bought back within a year, the sale of the house within the walled town cannot be reversed. It will become the permanent property of the buyer. It will not be returned to the original owner in the year of Jubilee. But a house in a village, a settlement without fortified walls, will be treated like property in the countryside. Such a house may be bought back at any time, and it must be returned to the original owner in the year of Jubilee. The Levites always have the right to buy back a house they have sold within the towns allotted to them. And any property that is sold by the Levites, all houses within the Levitical towns, must be returned in the year of Jubilee. After all, the houses in the towns reserved for the Levites are the only property they own in all Israel. The open pasture land around the Levitical towns may never be sold. It is their permanent possession. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident and allow him to live with you. Do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative. Remember, do not charge interest on money you lend him or make a profit on food you sell him. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell himself to you, do not treat him as a slave. Treat him instead as a hired worker or as a temporary resident who lives with you, and he will serve you only until the year of Jubilee. At that time, he and his children will no longer be obligated to you, and they will return to their clans and go back to the land originally allotted to their ancestors. The people of Israel are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, so they must never be sold as slaves. Show your fear of God by not treating them harshly. However, you may purchase male and female slaves from among the nations around you. You may also purchase the children of temporary residents who live among you, including those who have been born in your land. You may treat them as your property, passing them on to your children as a permanent inheritance. You may treat them as slaves, but you must never treat your fellow Israelites this way. Mark ten thirteen through 31 One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go to to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Psalm 44, 9 through 26. But now you have tossed us aside in dishonor. You no longer lead our armies to battle. You make us retreat from our enemies and allow those who hate us to plunder our land. You have butchered us like sheep and scattered us among the nations. You sold your precious people for a pittance, making nothing on the sale. You let our neighbors mock us. We are an object of scorn and derision to those around us. You have made us the butter Excuse me, you have made us the butt of their jokes. They shake their heads at us in scorn. We can't escape the constant humiliation. Shame is written across our faces. All we hear are the taunts of our mockers. All we see are our vengeful enemies. All this has happened, though we have not forgotten you. We have not violated your covenant. Our hearts have not deserted you. You have not strayed from your path. Yet you have crushed us in the jackal's desert home. You have covered us with darkness and death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands in prayer to foreign gods, God would surely have known it, for he knows the secrets of every heart. But for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? We collapse in the dust, lying face down in the dirt. Rise up. Help us. Ransom us because of your unfailing love. Proverbs ten twenty through 21. The words of the godly are like sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. The words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. That concludes our reading for today. All right. Talking about the Jubilee year. So let's go ahead and look into that a little bit more. What was this all about? All right. Well, the year of Jubilee occurred every 15th year. It commenced on the Day of Atonement. It was called by different names, such as the Year of Release in Ezekiel forty-six seventeen, 
the time of God's favor in Isaiah 61.2, and the year of redemption in Isaiah 63.4. It was introduced with the blowing of trumpets. All field labor ceased for that year. Non-urban property came back to the original owner. Inheritance were restored and slaves were freed. There is no indication in the Bible that the year of Jubilee was ever carried out. If the Israelites had followed this practice faithfully, they would have been a society without permanent property. They, the year of Jubilee is said to be fulfilled in the gospel in Luke 4, 18-19, when people are set free from their bondage and brought into the glorious liberty of the sons of God through Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and take a look at Luke really quickly. Luke 4, 18 through 19. Because God is instructing them, they're still in the wilderness, so he is instructing them before they enter this land. Um, all right, let's see here. Okay, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So that is Jesus speaking in Luke 4, 18 through 19. And let's see. All right, it says here in uh, Luke four seventeen through 22, <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus read from Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. And this text pictures the deliverance of Israel from exile in Babylon as a year of Jubilee, a year when all debts are canceled, all slaves are freed, and all property is returned to its original owners. But the release from Babylonian exile and had not brought the expected fulfillment. The Jews were still a conquered and oppressed people, so Isaiah must have been referring to a future messianic age when he had finished reading jesus boldly announced the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day jesus was proclaiming himself as the messiah the one who would bring the good news to pass but he would do so in a way that people were not yet able to grasp his neighbors could hardly believe such a remarkable claim so that's very interesting and it seems and and when it said here in the companion um, and even when we look in the Bible, and I, I've never even really thought about this because it just never occurred to me that this Jubilee year never happened. There's no evidence that it did. All right. And um, why did God allow the Israelites to purchase slaves? Under Hebrew laws, slaves were treated differently from slaves in other nations. They were seen as human beings with dignity and not as animals. Nowhere does the Bible condone slavery, but it recognizes its, its existence. God's laws offered many guidelines for treating slaves properly. Hebrew slaves, for example, took part in the religious festivals and rested on the Sabbath. All right, and going over to Mark, why did Jesus' disciples rebuke the people who brought the children to Jesus? Jesus was often criticized for spending too much time with the wrong people. Children, tax collectors, and sinners. This is in Matthew 9.11, Luke 15.12, and 19.7. Some, including the disciples, thought Jesus should be spending more time with important leaders and the devout because this was the way to improve his position and avoid criticism. But Jesus didn't need to improve his position. He was God, and he wanted to speak to those who needed him most. 
one of my favorite things. Jesus says, I didn't come, um, or the, the healthy don't need a physician, right? The sick do. All right, let's see. Wanted to just take a look and see about Psalm 44 today. Okay, so we just read the, um, I think we just read this part actually. I just want to double check. <laughs> okay, we read 9 through 26. So it gives us a little bit of an explanation in the study Bible. Um, 9 through 22. So let's see what this is about. The people of Israel had been defeated despite their faith and obedience to God. The psalm writer could not understand why God had allowed this to happen, so he searched for an answer. He felt that his suffering was undeserved, and then he discovered that he was suffering because he was committed to the Lord. Paul quoted the psalm writer's complaint to show that we must always be ready to face death for the cause of Christ. Thus, our suffering may not be punishment, but a trial that proves and reveals our loyalty. In verses 22 through 26, the psalm writer cried out to God to redeem his people because of his unfailing love. Nothing can separate us from God's love, not even death. And that is Romans 8, 36 through 39. When you fear for your life, ask God for deliverance and remember that even death cannot separate you from him. And although that is not easy for our human <laughs> minds to think about, our hearts can grasp that peace, that peace that passes all understanding. And we can, you know, even in, in as we face death, we can know that nothing can separate us from God, nothing. And when, you know, there, there are times that I've remembered this truth, um, and it's just so powerful. It can really just... Um, can can really just I don't know how to other another way another way to explain it, but it can just touch our hearts so deeply in that moment to be like, wait a minute, nothing can separate us, nothing can separate us from God's love, and we just thank you, Father. Right? I mean, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's go ahead and end with our prayer today. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your perfect love for us and for showing us what love is. And we just pray that we can um, soften our hearts, that, that you can help us to soften our hearts, that we can uh, choose love today, and that we can be grateful to all of the people that you've blessed us with in our lives, that we can show them love, that we can show you love today, of course, and that we can find peace in knowing that nothing can separate us from your love. And it even just kind of brings us to a place of awe, Father, and we just thank you. We thank you for that. We thank, thank you for that moment of awe in the moments of this busy life, in the moments of what the world wants us to think and we can always come back to the truth that nothing will separate us from your love. We thank you, Father. We thank you for this beautiful and perfect love of us. And we just pray for all of those in our lives. We pray that they can know this love that you have for them, that they can know that you sent Jesus to die for them too. You sent Jesus for all of us 
so that we can be washed clean and that we can have a relationship with you right here, right now. We thank you, Father. We say this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that concludes our episode for today. Thank you so much for being here and joining in. I hope your heart can be softened today and each day. God promises to work on us until the end. Thank you, Father. I look forward to being with you in the next episode. Take care.